Last week, uh, Jerem did an excellent job of eloquently setting up our series and setting up Daniel and, and really walking through that chapter. In his message, he made a, a rather bold statement. Um, he described Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and remember, Abednego, not Abednego, okay? Um, but as being the best and brightest young men of the land. And then he made a strong statement. He said, much like Matt Swank. <laughs> and while I'm sure he was sincere, and I was thinking the same thing at the time, I'm going to set out this morning to disprove it, um, both intentionally and unintentionally, um, and for a couple of reasons. One, in Daniel's time, that meant being carried off to a distant land. And although, and I can't remember who uh, first coined this phrase, but although being carried off would raise the average IQ of both nations, um, I'd prefer to stay where I am. Um, the second reason is that some believe that Daniel and his friends were made into eunuchs, um, which I've also I'm not interested. Um, <laughs> but the third reason is that while it was their intellect that gave them position, it was their orientation to God that gave them influence. And so that's what we're going to unpack this morning and take a look at that. So let's pray. Uh, Jam already did, but it just helps me. Um, so let's, uh, let's pray again and um, let's dig into Daniel chapter 2. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for who you are. God, you are an incredible God. Lord, you are a sovereign God. Lord, who places us where we are, you place us there for a purpose. Lord, that we might be your instruments to reveal you among the nations. And so, Lord, I pray that today you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. Open our hearts to be changed by you. Lord, help us to see what you want us to see. Lord, again, we thank you. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So um, I was thinking, I probably won't read the whole chapter since it's 49 verses, um, but I'm just going to kind of paraphrase a little bit of what's happened. And I encourage you, if you haven't read it leading up to today, I encourage you to, to, to read it and, um, because it's, it's got some really important things and also some really crazy things in it as well. And so I encourage you to take that time. Again, that's Daniel chapter 2. And you can go ahead and open it because I will be going to specific uh, verses. So either you can either uh, turn your Bible on or um, open it to Daniel chapter 2, which is on page 823 in my Bible. Um, but here, here's this, here's it is. We know that Daniel is, he's in Babylon, right? And, and he's been taken and he's under the, the king of King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar has had this dream. And this dream just completely freaks him out. He, sleep leaves him. And, and he's distraught over his dream. And so he, he gathers every person that he knows that, that has wisdom, that, that can see into things, the enchanters, the, the religious people, the, the learned people. He brings them all around him to help him so that they can, they can interpret the dream. But he doesn't just want them to interpret it. They want to, he wants them to tell them exactly what the dream was. So imagine that. 
your boss calls you in and says, all right, I've got an idea. I want you to tell me what it is. All right? So, um, so right. So that's basically, in some extent, that's kind of what happened here. Is he, he, he was, they were, they were supposed to tell him those details. And as complicated as it was, they're like, oh, actually, it would be better, oh, king, if you just, you know, told us yourself. And he's like, no, I don't think you understand. Your life is on the line. Quite literally. If you don't do this, um, I will kill you. I'll have you killed. Um, thankfully, that doesn't really happen in our workplace. But, um, but that, was, that, was the, that, was the, that was what was going to happen. And they're like, like king, we can't do this. This is, only, this, is, this is only the gods can do this, and they, they don't interact with us. And so there kind of sets the stage, and so then the message goes out because they can't answer it, that all the wise men, everyone who's been trained to, to give wisdom and counsel to the king is to be executed. And in passing, Daniel kind of finds out. He's like, so what's going on? <laughs> um, and they're like, uh, yeah, so the king wants to kill everybody because we can't tell him the dream. Um, and so he's like, okay, just a minute. <laughs> he goes, he gets his buddies together, and he said, all right, we're going we're gonna to pray about this and ask God to reveal this to us. God reveals it to him. He goes back to the king. He shares the, the details of the dream and then shares the um, interpretation of the dream, and it changes Daniel's, or change, well, changes Daniel's life, but also changes King Nebuchadnezzar, okay? So that's, that's the summation, and we can go home now, right? Um, no. Um, so here's the thing is Daniel, and this is one of the things that Daniel, I think, really recognized, is Daniel recognized this truth. God has placed us, and I think this is for us today as well. God has placed us where we are in order that we might reveal him to those around us. Okay, I'm going to say that again, and I've got a slide for it as well. Um, God has placed us where we are in order that we might reveal him to those around us. Okay? But there's four things in order to do that, even knowing that truth, there's four things. One, we have to recognize our context. We need to orientate our lives towards God. We need to seize opportunity and remain faithful. All right, so these are just going to stay up because th this, is, this is kind of the four things to remember as we go throughout today. So the first thing is that Daniel, um, Daniel did recognize his context. And the context that he was particular in is he was in a, a distant land, right? And he was under a foreign king. But the context of this king and the kingdom is that this king had, he had position and power. He was the greatest king at the time. He had the largest kingdom at the time. So he had power. He had influence. He had authority. So all these things were available to him. He had conquered many lands. He had success. And we're talking extensive success. He had all of these things. He had military might. He had the best education available, and he had the best minds around him. From the outside, he was a strong and powerful and effective leader. 
But his reality was that he was anxious. That in spite of all of this that he had going for him, he had this anxiety. He had this fear because of one dream. And he couldn't sleep. But not only couldn't he sleep, he couldn't get the answers that would satisfy the need and desire that he really had. And so this is, again, part of his context. Not only could he not get the answers, he could not compel a solution. He could not force a solution. He had done everything up to this point in his life through force and through his might. But when it came to this situation, there was nothing within his power or his normal way of operating that could solve his problem. And his problem, again, was one that was internal. He had an internal problem that even, the, even the, his wisest people said that only a spiritual answer could solve that problem. But we can't. We can't do that for you. So he, he wanted peace. He wanted knowledge, insight. He wanted sleep. He wanted security. So these are the things that he wanted. He had all these other things going for him, but these were the things in particular that he desperately needed. And so this is the context that we find Daniel in. And so many of us, are, we're placed in a particular context. There are things that are going on around us that actually and we'll get to this as we go on, there's things going on around us that only because of our relationship with God do we have answers to that we can provide to those people around us. And that God has uniquely positioned us for that. So what is your context? Where has God placed you? So you think about that. Where, where are the natural pathways that you are in your life? It might be your job. It might be your community. It might be your family. It might be your recreation. But where has God uniquely placed you? Who are the people that God has put within your context? And are you aware, are you paying attention? We'll get to this more in a little bit. Are you paying attention to what God is wanting to do in that context? Because in this context, God had a desire to move. God had a desire to affect change. But we have to, be, again, we've got to pay attention to our context. So as we go through this, I encourage you to be thinking about what's my context? Who are those people that God has placed me uniquely around? So next thing is, is having our lives orientated towards God. This was actually Daniel. Daniel had his life orientated towards God. One is he recognized God's sovereignty. He recognized, and we see that later on in the chapter, um, he, he, we see that he says like in, in verse um, 36, when he's, or 37 actually, when he's talking about the dream, he says, you, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the might, and the glory. 
So he recognizes the position that God has placed Nebuchadnezzar in. So that's part of his understanding. He understands the sovereignty of God, that God has placed this person in authority. And although he has been taken out of his own land, he's been taken from his own family, he still recognizes God's sovereignty in his situation. In the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of the challenging circumstance, he recognized God had a plan. And so that was, that's the beginning of his orientation towards God. He also recognized God's activity. And we find that out as he, he, he believes and he even says that God is the one who revealed this dream to Nebuchadnezzar. So he's recognizing the activity of God in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. And so there is a kind of a presupposition that God is at work around us and that God is actually at work in the lives of the people around us if we believe that God is omnipresent. So one of the omnis that we use to describe God. If we believe that he's omnipresent, that he is around everywhere, then God is working in those spaces as well. And so being orientating our lives towards God is meaning paying attention and seeing where God is working around us in the lives of the people around us. So much so Jesus in Matthew 28, and I've talked about this before, but Matthew 28, the last verse, the last thing, most of the most uh, pa- translations kind of translate it, and surely I am with you till the very end of the age, which is nice and sweet, makes us feel comfortable. Um, but actually, what it is, is behold, pay attention, look, see me, I'm with you till the very end of the age. And, and, and this is the, the perspective that we see in Daniel, that he's not surprised by God's activity, but he is anticipating God's activity. And so are we anticipating God's activity in the lives of those around us? I can guarantee you he is working and the invitation is for you to join him. We'll get to that a little bit more later as well. He recognized God's opportunities. Now it was um, that or death, but it would definitely recognize God's opportunity, right? He didn't just fret over it, right? But he recognized God's opportunity. See, he exemplifies the two greatest commandments. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We saw one of the ways that he loved with his strength in the last chapter in terms of the food. He was not going to defile his body, but was going to love God with his body, with his strength, his physical strength. We know that he loved God with his mind. He was willing to learn and become the best student and apply himself diligently. So he loved God with his mind. He loved God with his heart. He trusted God. That even in the midst of this circumstance, he trusted God. He knew where to turn and he trusted him. And then with his soul, he had God at the center of everything. Of his, of his thinking, of his walking, of his daily practice, of when, when there was a problem, he knew where to turn. God was at the center of who he was, the center of his identity. 
He also loved others. And we see this in this passage. He wasn't just concerned with himself. He was concerned with his friends. We know that ultimately he was concerned with his colleagues because he actually saved their lives. And he was concerned with his king. He wasn't just concerned about giving an answer that would satisfy the king just to put him off, but he was actually concerned with the well-being of his king. The king who had taken him out of his homeland, he was concerned with the well-being of that king. And so the same thing is us. Is this what we see in, my, in our own lives? Are we loving God with all our mind, heart, soul, and strength? Are we loving others as ourselves? This is part of what means to orientate our lives towards God. And we see that in Daniel as he lived. But then with his life orientated towards God is he seized opportunity that when he saw opportunity to reveal the Father, he took it. In John 17, this is one of my favorite passages. I bring it up a lot. John 17, one of the things that Jesus said to it about his disciples, he's praying to the Father and he says about his disciples is he says, I revealed you to them. That the goal of Jesus was to reveal the Father to his disciples. What we see in Daniel is that his goal is to reveal the Father to Nebuchadnezzar. That is his mission. That is the way he is orientated. He didn't, here's what he didn't do. He didn't fret. He didn't, he didn't go to his friends and, and like, what are we going to do? You know, he, he didn't do that. He, he, was, he, he was a man that was filled with peace, even in this situation. He didn't fret. He didn't try to just go say the right thing. He didn't even directly pray for Nebuchadnezzar. God, help him not to do this. That wasn't his prayer. He didn't ask God to change Neb's mind. All right? He didn't ask for that. He didn't look to advance himself. That's not what he was doing. He didn't look to advance his own agenda. He looked to advance the agenda of the Father. So he starts out, he made a request that he would be able to have some time to pray. Then he invited his, pray, his friends to pray for mercy. He told them, In verse 18, he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. So that Daniel, again, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So there was that motive as well, but he wanted to understand the mystery so that he could reveal the Father to Nebuchadnezzar. So he invited his friends regarding that mystery and what happens is God reveals the dream to Daniel. But I, I, again, Daniel, even with the season, Daniel had this expectation that God was the revealer of mysteries. 
Daniel had an expectation that if we pray this, God will answer it. Because notice, while King Nebuchadnezzar is having a difficulty sleeping, Daniel goes to sleep. His life is on the line. Nebuchadnezzar just has some anxiety. Daniel's life is on the line, and yet he sleeps, and God reveals to him this dream. And so as he does it, he goes and reveals the father to Nebuchadnezzar. He shares the, per- the context. He says, no person can reveal this. No wise person. He says, no, um, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But he says, but there is a God who can. Man, imagine that, that when we, as we encounter people and the, the challenges that they face, no one can solve this for you, but there is a God who can. Imagine if that was our automatic response when we're interacting with people, when we're made aware of the, the situations that only God can solve, that even more than saying, I'll pray for you, to draw their attention to the Father in confidence that there is one who can solve this. There is one who can answer this. So this is what he does in this opportunity, is he reveals him there. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. So not only does he reveal that there is a God who can do this, but he also ties God's current activity to Nebuchadnezzar. There is a God who can do this, and he is already doing this in your life. He has already started to reveal things about the kingdom of God and about himself to Nebuchadnezzar, and Daniel points that out. And then he goes on and he reveals the dream. He goes on and shares the nature of the, the dream. And, he, and, and it's, a, it's a crazy, crazy dream that he's had about this statue, about this statue of, of clay and, and, and gold and silver and, and iron. And ultimately, that this, this statue, this strong statue that resembles a human is ultimately destroyed by something that is not human that is ultimately brought down by God and by his kingdom, a kingdom that will last. And so in this, he reveals not only that Neb is connected to God in that God was positioned him with this power, but connected him as well to a future, that there is a future that God has a plan. And so he began to reveal this plan of God through the dream to Nebuchadnezzar that ultimately comes to fruition in Jesus. So he begins even proclaiming Jesus because that's what ultimately the king has dreamed of, is the coming of Jesus in his kingdom. We're not gonna unpack that today because there's gonna be more chapters that are gonna unpack that in greater detail. But this is what it was, and this is what Daniel was revealing. He continued to point all throughout that, pointing to the Father, 
pointing to the Father. The Father did this. The Father made known this to you. Always pointing to it. And as a result, Nebuchadnezzar is absolutely overcome. The king, as a response, because he sees that, that obviously God, because even in this, Daniel said, this isn't my wisdom. This is God who has spoken to me. It's not because I'm learned or anything else. This is just because God has chosen to speak through me. Again, pointing to God. But because now Nebuchadnezzar has seen God at work through Daniel, he can't help but fall on his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and revealers of mysteries for you have been able to reveal this mystery. So the outcome is Nebuchadnezzar worships God. That because Daniel was faithful to point, to continuously point, point to the Father, point to the Father, the ultimate outcome was Nebuchadnezzar worshiped the Father. Bowed down and recognized that even as strong as he was as a king, this God was far greater. And not only that, he then appoints Daniel. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And then Daniel made a request to the king um, that he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. So here's, here's an interesting thing, is because of this, see, God gave manna to Daniel with the king. The king gave manna to Daniel for the entire kingdom. The king raised him up. As a result of his obedience to God, the king raised him up and gave him influence over the entire kingdom. Now, now this, is, this is, as a result, then Daniel continues to be faithful to God in his duties, but also fulfills a promise that was made in Abraham. God promised to Abraham back in Genesis that, that you and your descendants will be a blessing to all nations. That God's purpose with establishing the people of Israel was ultimately to bless the entire world and to reveal himself to the entire world. And so when Israel is no longer doing that work, when they're no longer faithful in responding to God and revealing God, he takes the few faithful ones out and places them in the largest kingdom in the world. He says, have at it. And so here, God has used him to influence the king and now put him in a position where he can influence an entire kingdom. 
It was this faithfulness and his obedience and orientation to God that opened doors for God to move in even greater ways. God has positioned you right where you are to reveal him to those around you. Are you paying attention? Are you seeing where God's at work? Are you orientating yourself to him? Are you seizing opportunities and then being faithful with what God has given you? I encourage you this week as you go out, begin praying about that. Maybe even gather your friends together and say, let's pray that God would reveal the mysteries that he wants to reveal to the people around me. Lord, help me to reveal in that context. Lord, show me, as I want to orientate myself towards God, show me where I'm not orientated towards you. Show me those parts that are hidden from you so that I can be completely orientated to you and completely used by you. But Lord, help me to seize the opportunities to see them, to seize them, and to remain faithful. I think, I really believe that God wants to move in and among the world, and our world in particular, Wellington. Jesus said that the harvest is plentiful, it's the workers who are few. And he wasn't inviting the workers to come into the synagogue, but the workers needed to go out in the context where they lived and reveal the Father. This is what God has called us to. This is what Jesus modeled and what he commanded for us as well. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up. And I just wanna pray for us for just a minute and then, and then we're, gonna, we're gonna take communion. I just wanna pray for us. Let's pray. God, I thank you for who you are. Lord, you, you are a sovereign God who knows all. You understand the kingdoms and the powers of this world. And Lord, you have positioned us in a place to reveal you in those kingdoms and to those powers. Lord, you don't need us, but you invite us to join you in what you want to do and what you are doing. God, I pray that you would help us to see. Help us to see our context. Lord, help us to just completely orientate our lives towards you so that, Lord, we are wholly about your business. And, Lord, help us to take advantage of those opportunities and be faithful in following you. Lord, go before us, I pray. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. We're gonna, gonna take communion in just a second. But I guess I wanna focus just for a second on that orientating part. That taking communion 
is kind of doing that. It's, it's kind of that, a process. It's a, it's, a, it's a worship, but it's a, it's a process of remembrance, but it's also a process of reorientating ourselves towards Jesus. And so I want to give you that opportunity um, this morning is before you take communion this morning is just to ask God, just to say, God, is there any part of me that I'm hiding from you? Is there any part of me that is not honoring to you? Just ask him. And then just take a moment and confess that. First John 1 John 1.9 tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. And so I encourage you just to take a moment to confess that and then come and take communion in remembrance that we experience that forgiveness because of what Jesus did on the cross. He died for us to reveal the Father to us and to bring us into his kingdom. So when you're ready, just encourage you to come up and take communion.